0: um I, there is a fine line between being too political and 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 or too religious i don't know if that all makes sense but here's the reality i praise god that he has faithfully given us the united states of america i truly am thankful for the freedoms that he has so greatly blessed us with but here's the reality he is faithful and as our country goes to the depths of depravity his faithfulness demands that he disciplines it it's only a matter of time till that shoe drops because he's holy he demands holiness and the filth and disgusting nonsense that this country is applauding will be judged. It has to be. And it will be. We need to stand for truth. And praise God, He has given us a country that we can stand for truth. Let's use that freedom for that purpose, not for building up fleshly desires, if that makes sense. That's what I'm talking about. I hope that makes sense. Can you see the flag in there, kind of? Stripes and the red, white, and blue. All right. We don't worship the flag. We worship our God. But we're thankful for the flag that God has given us. You bear with me as I change slides here. By the way, I have no idea how to change slides besides doing this. So if you're an IT person, and can help with that, I would embrace that greatly. We are dealing in Romans chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me to Romans chapter 15. In Romans chapter 15, the Bible says, and let me go back one more. Yes. In Romans chapter 15, and some of you are new this morning, so I want to catch you up to where we're at. Um, By the way, just just so you know, for you, especially those of you that are new, what we do is we preach verse by verse, word through word, through the text. What happens is when new people come, they, we get thrown in the middle of this text and, like, where did all that come from? You need the background. How many get that? We, our goal here at Northland is to give the authorial intent, not Tim's intent. Amen? It's what is the scripture trying to express? What is the original author trying to say to us? And so we're going to bring it into Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Uh, although you can read chapter 14 it all brings all 14 funnels right into 15 and he kind of summarizes it in verse 15 or chapter 15 verse 4 is talking about how that we as Christians are all about serving others the weak and the strong that's what's going on through this whole text are there strong and weak Christians in the Christian faith yes or no according to the text absolutely so do you know that do you know what that means Yes, we do. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There are strong and weak Christians. Not only are there strong and weak Christians, every Christian is strong and weak. Every Christian is. And so he is trying to help us that, listen, every single person struggles with things, is, is on top of other things by God's grace, we need each other to continue to grow in our faith and we do this isn't a one guy show your bootstraps aren't strong enough to lift yourself up we need each other And that's the whole text is about that. It starts starts in verses 1 and 2, and I'm going to go by memory because there's way too many slides there. But verses 1 and 2, it says, listen, it's not about you, it's not about me, it's about everybody else. And we're going to find out today that if our focus is about others, our focus is about Christ, and our focus is about God's glory, there's no way and there's no time for me. And that's exactly where God wants us. And he says, it's not about me, it's about others in verses one, two, three, it's about Christ and what he has done, amen. It's focused on Christ in verse 4, which is we talked about last week, for whatever was written earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, it's about the word of God, amen. We might have hope. And we talked about how, how dangerous it is. How horrible it is that people without the word how in the world do they survive every day? Their bootstraps will break. Because that's how they're surviving day by day. And it isn't going to last. The hope that the scripture brings is unparalleled in this world amen there's nothing greater than that we have this hope we too will have eternal life with christ is that a hope or what amen absolutely we have this hope how do we have that hope god says it he said it to his son jesus christ jesus died for our sins why did he die for our sins to take care of the sin problem in this world. If you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are a dead man walking because you have no hope. Hope is in only Christ. People think, well, you're, t- you're talking about, you got to join the church. I didn't say that. I said a personal relationship with Christ. I got to go get baptized. I didn't say that, nor does the text says it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's, it's, I, I can do good things and then away the bad things. I didn't say that. The scripture doesn't either. It's only by a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you do not have a relationship with Christ, you are a, according to Ephesians chapter 2, dead man walking. And the Bible then continues, and you are without hope and without God in this world. That is the most dangerous place this world has ever seen without hope and without God. There is no place that's worse than that. By the way, if that is the worst place in the world, think of living in that for eternity. Because hell is the same thing. There is no hope and there is no God. And that's your eternity. This week, and I I am careful to bring up current events, but this week, the filth of the world was displayed over all the radio stations and all of our TVs and screens. How a drug company celebrates. How many saw that? They celebrated by scantily clothing people. And the head of all of them was a devil walking about. Sexual innuendos all over and that's their entertainment? They're going to be rudely awakened at their judgment. This isn't fun and games. This isn't a joke. This is eternal life at stake. That is what America is coming. We had better get our butts in gear and start proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ because it ain't, <laughs> there will be a judgment and it ain't far away. God is a patient God, but when that filth is going on, look what he did to Rome, look what he did to Egypt. Look what he did to Israel. You can go on and on and on and on. God does not put up with nonsense like that. Okay, see I I totally got... Romans 15, it says we should focus on Scripture. That's verse 4. verse In in, in Scripture, why Scripture? Because it's inspired by God. It's profitable for everything. It's, it's the word of God is living and active and it can do the impossible. Save my soul, amen. When building up one another, we found last week, Scripture is the greatest medicine. By the way, I just want to, just for a second, when you want to build one another up and encourage one another, use Scripture or at least Scripture principles Don't go off and build their ego up on selfishness or fleshly things. How many understand that? Not everybody gets a trophy. You got it? All right, that was last week, this week. We probably will be shorter today because we're going to preach both of these passages of Scripture 5 and 6 verse 7 starts a new new focus, a new context. Verse 5, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. May the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you... What is he talking about here? There's a couple of things. First of all, I want you to look at this. May the God who gives perseverance, last week we talked about verse 4, and I I put these both side by side so we can see them together, and I highlighted these words because it's important. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That sounds like we need to pull up our own boots by our straps, doesn't that? And that's the usually what people think. I have to keep doing this. I, 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 I have to buffet my body, and I have to beat it, and I have to, my good works have to outweigh my bad ones for this to work. I just got to do it. I, I, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can't. You know. <clears throat> you can't. By the time we get partway up the hill, someone has greased the rails. And we're going to start going back because all of this is dependent on me and my strength and my will. Folks, you can't do it. And Scripture then tells us that. He says, listen, just in case you don't get this, I'm telling you, may the God who gives perseverance. Same exact word there. You see, this is God giving us. How many of you have patience? How many, how many of you are born with patience? You're a liar if you say yes. But as we draw closer to Christ, there's more patience. I think God gives us the children that produce patience in us. I'm going to get that. Isn't God sovereign in everything he does it's as if it's a plan thing so this is so important it's not just you doing the work now do you do the work do you persevere i will tell you this every true believer will persevere amen every true one will perseverance of the saints the statement and i embrace that statement why because it's a biblical statement there are a lot of other words that people use, and ver- I'm very careful about using them because usually they have an agenda to use them. So let's, let's, let's get through the fog, and let's get to the text. We, w- we need to persevere, but perseverance is a gift given by God to us. Amen? That's what the text says. It's what it says, and we need to understand that. So God is going to, if you will, give us the gift of perseverance to persevere until the end. Amen to that. Amen to that. So let's get into the, that's just a side thing in this, all right? That wasn't the purpose of that text, although it helped with that. How many understand that? How many of you love studying about angels and spirit beings and things like that? I don't. It scares me, to be honest with you. I don't want anything to do with that stuff. But here's the deal. The only way we find out about those things, God doesn't have a passage of Scripture that explains all the Spirit being issues. But He gives us glimpses on other subjects that have the Spirits involved in them when we learn about them. So it's a side benefit of knowledge in a context. Did you follow that? I hope you followed that. All right, good. Now, now, the Bible says, verse 5, May the God, and this God is the one who gives perseverance and encouragement, grant you. What is he saying? What is he saying? Obviously, the implication of this verse is that God is the giver of perseverance and encouragement to believers. Paul is not exhorting believers to pull themselves together, to, to do this themselves, but rejoicing in God who gives them That gift and those gifts. And by the way, God gives us all things, he says. Right? There's nothing he keeps from you. He gives us all things. They're always a gift from God, not the result of human achievement. That being said, Paul's basically writing down his prayer. Isn't that what he's doing? May the God grant you. Paul is literally praying here. Now, you say, well, he didn't say, dear Heavenly Father. No, he did not say that there. But let me ask you, is this a prayer? Absolutely. Paul is praying. And he's praying, writing that prayer down to the Romans because they got a problem. I'm going to pray, he says. This is what I'm, gonna, this is what I'm praying. He's basically writing down his prayer for the church in Rome. We see this in how the verse is put together. Paul is clearly asking that God, the very source of perseverance and encouragement, grant you. And what is is it that Paul wants these Romans to have? How many think that would be an important subject of the context? I think so. Well, let's look. Be of the same mind with one another. Uh, What does that mean? Well, he defines that by saying, according to Christ Jesus. So, we find this idea. Here's here's the reality. How many have a different version and might say, unify together? How many have that type of version? That would be like a uh, international NIV version where it's a big phrase that's it might be a uh, not a translation but a what's that equal harmony? All right. The idea here is unity. So Paul is saying, listen, guys, you need to be unified. Why would he be saying that to the Romans? I mean, some people would say, well, aren't all Roman Catholics unified? so what that was worthless for Paul to say that, right? I don't know. The reality is this. You have to understand the context of the text. Why was Paul writing to Rome? Rome had a problem. Do you know what that problem was? Some of you might. I'm going to give you again what that problem is because this is so important. There is a Roman... uh, First of all, the church started within the synagogues. How many can imagine a church starting that way today? (laughs) Hey, Mr. Rabbi, we're just going to start an independent Bible-believing church. Focusing on what Christ did in the New Testament for our sins. (laughs) How do you think that go over with a rabbi today? (laughs) Not so good. Well, what happened was, these were people that were saved at Pentecost. It tells us that they were from Rome. These guys then go back to Rome and they start churches in the synagogues. And what's happening now is the Jewish people within the synagogues are pretty ticked off at the Gentiles who are saying, I don't see that eating meat thing. I don't see that offering sacrifices thing. I don't, that's not, Christ did it all. All of that Old Testament is there to explain what Jesus Christ did. Amen. And it is. Now, listen. Listen. That does not mean we do not like the Old Testament or do not preach the Old Testament or do not embrace the Old Testament. The Old Testament is full of truths that every Christian must learn. And examples that are just through the roof. The reality is, though, these guys were butting heads. Their tradition, the Jewish traditions were hindering the Gentiles, and so they squirmished over it. We find in the history books that there were literally people being killed over it in Rome. The Jewish Christians were killing the Gentile Christians, and Gentile Christians were killing the Jewish Christians. How many think that's a bad thing for Christians? You think? I mean, they were killing each other. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. I'm glad we don't have that problem today. But the reality that's what's going on and Paul says stop it with the nonsense. It got so bad that the Roman emperor kicked out cuz he thought it was a Jewish problem. He kicked out all the Jews. Some people think there were a million Jews that were kicked out of Rome. The history books tells us the problem occurred over Christus. Over Christ. Christ was the source of the conflict. They got kicked out. So you take all the Jews out of the church of Rome, what do you have left? The Gentiles. And how are they going to worship the Lord? (laughs) Totally different than the Jews. And so for years, it was a Gentile church. And all the Gentile things were involved in that. All the traditions of the Gentile thing. So then the emperor dies. Now everybody knows this that when, an emp- when the Roman emperor dies, all his edicts vanished. Could you imagine if that happened in the United States? I tell you what, the edicts that are being pronounced now down at Minnesota, that it's the right to kill a child all the way till, the, to, till they are born, is wrong! Unbiblical! Uh, I, I can't even, it just I get a little upset. The reality is, in Rome, when the emperor died, his laws, his edicts died with him. So, when that emperor died, guess what all the Jews did? We get to come back home. And when they come back home and they find what? Their church is gentilic. They're pulling their hair out. They're frustrated. They hate them. They want to beat them up. This whole book is about coming together. This whole book is about unity. And that's what the text says. Now, may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind. He was, so what does he want to get granted? Grant unity. By the way, it's granted unity. Do you see that? It's not conjured up by man's purposes and man's ways unity. There's a ton packed into this phrase that the church at large needs to embrace. First, how true unity is not obtained. Unity is not attained by avoiding theological truths that tend to divide, amen. I want unity so I'm just gonna forget theology. You're a moron. Frankly, that's wrong. If that's right, then Paul would have never said, you should be teachers, but instead you still need milk. Amen. Unity is not obtained by avoiding theological truths that tend to divide. Mm -hmm. Unity is not obtained by entertaining people and stroking the selfishness of their desires. Oh, you like that? We'll bring it in the church. Oh, you like that? We'll bring it in the church. Listen, we're here to glorify God, not selves. Glorifying selves is the antithesis of what we are doing today together. Amen. Unity is not obtained by avoiding theological truths that tend to divide unity is not obtained by entering entertaining people and stroking the selfishness of their desires unity is not over programming to appease everyone amen okay this might be sacrilegious to you but you know sunday school sunday school is not found in the new testament it's not There are a ton of things that we do that are not found in New Testament. Doesn't mean they're wrong. Don't get me wrong. But they are traditionally made and there was good purposes for them and maybe they even should still be used today. The the point is, let tradition be tradition. Let the scripture be scripture. So unity is not over-programming to appease everyone. Unity is not Unitarianism. what, what is unit? How many know what Unitarianism is? Okay, there's a church just north of here. It's called the Unitarian Church. Do you know what the Unitarians do you know? do you know what the Unitarians believe? Exactly. Who said that? You're exactly right. The Unitarians believe everything. The problem is everything can't be true. No matter what doctrine's out there, they embrace it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's their unitary. In other words, there's a billion ways to Christ. And they're banking them up every day. Folks, that is a lie from Satan himself. There is one way to Christ. And it's putting your faith and trust in him. That is it. Trusting in Jesus Christ. Unity is not Unitarianism, embracing all theological ideas, whether biblical or not. Unity, and this is a big one, unity is not compromise. Unity is not compromise. What is is distinctive here is that he prays that God will grant unity in the church. Believers should certainly strive for unity, but ultimately, unity comes directly from whom? God, man can't make unity. Look at the world. Look at the greatest country in the world. There's no unity. Man will always fail that way. Look at our homes. Even Christian homes. Unity is a gift from God. Man can't conjure that We are studying, or we will be we have studied, and we're going to continue to study in our CE hour. See, we we didn't use the conditional Sunday school, if you C E. That makes no difference. (laughs) During our CE hour, we've taught through evangelicalism in America, starting where it started in with the Puritans coming from England, and we went through that up to the Great Awakening after the Great Awakening came something called the Second Great Awakening. There was some Great Awakening there, but in, in general, we'll see, that much of the Great or some, let's just put it some, some of the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, were men using devices to manipulate people. In other words, they thought that their tweaking and using certain techniques can bring revival. Folks, God and God alone during His timing and in His way provides revival. It is not man. I could, t- you know, you've seen it all the time. Some preacher gets up there and manipulates a thousand people come forward. What does that mean? A thousand people got saved, did they? I don't know if they got saved or not, but I tell you what, that was absolutely manipulating. Let God's Word do that, not man. There's nothing wrong with an altar call. We don't use one here often, if hardly at all. But the reality is, the Word of God can change your heart anywhere, at any time, but it's the Word of God that does it, not man. Believers should certainly strive for unity, but ultimately it's a gift of God, not of... (coughs) not a human attainment. It is not so much identity of opinion of which he is writing here. It's he wants the strong and the weak to understand that there is such a thing as... uh, You ever had that blank spot fly through your mind? There is a word where we might disagree on some minute issue in Scripture. We need to have deference for one another. Here's the deal with these guys. Remember we talked about the strong in the weak. Some of them believed that they could not eat meat. Correct? The strong usually today would say, well, you're a, you're a moron. You can eat meat all you want. That has nothing to do with but the problem is, he grew up in an idol-worshiping home, and everything of eating that meat, the figures of all the debauchery and the sexuality and the drug or alcohol, that were, it was a huge orgy. All that came to flooding. Don't sit there and say, well, you need to grow up and eat meat. That's exactly not what you're supposed to say. I understand that. Let's grow together. Let's serve him together right now. I'm not even going to eat meat either because I don't want to offend you. I don't want to bring those debaucheries into your mind. That strong Christian loves that weak Christian enough. Now, let's let's be honest. Does the Bible say that eating meat is a sin? Absolutely not. And I have two cows in my backyard to prove it. Because I enjoy meat. But... At this time in history, I would not have cows because I would not want to hinder any young child, any young Christian. I don't want to hinder their faith. I don't want to hinder their growth possibilities in the Lord. And That's exactly what he's talking about here. Verses 5 and 6, it combines prayer to God and an exhortation to the church. Our hope is given to us by endurance of the word, which is a, 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 a endurance in our lives, which is a gift from God. And encouragement, which is a gift from God that produces a hope. And let's just be honest. Is hope a gift from God? Absolutely. Hope is a gift from God. So this means of hope is, comes from the endurance and encouragement. And God is the source of both of them. It seems that Paul wants Christians to do what? This is what's awesome. I love this text. I, I just love all texts, but this one's really cool. We'll get to ah. So that with one accord, you may have one voice in glorifying God. There's a purpose for it. I want to get to this, and I, I did not put this in the right spot. I apologize. When theologically-minded Christians focus on, verse 1 and 2, people's needs, not your own. Verse 3, Christ, not yourself. Verse 4, Scripture, not the tabloids. Or political parties' platform. Listen, folks, both political parties are not biblical. The Bible is our source for everything. Now, there are are good and bad in those platforms. Every Christian should vote. I know it's way early. Every Christian should vote. But there's not a one single Christian that should vote for something that's going to promote what the Bible says not. It's not about the party. It's about the platform. It's about the principles regardless It seems that Paul wants the Christians to focus on verse 1 and 2 people's needs everybody else not themselves Now verse 3 Christ verse 4 scripture and verse 5 and 6 God Now let me ask you if we were focusing on the people's needs Christ scripture and God how are we going to feel like we lost out on stuff Does that make sense it brings us all right where God wants us. Get our stinking self out of our mind. It's not about us. It's about Him. Both the strong and the weak cannot find comfort without each other. And that's the point. We need each other. We cannot live this life in glorification of God without each other. Listen. Listen. If you think you are the strongest and you're going to help everybody else, then you go and start your own church and we'll watch you all alone spewing your pride. That's not what God wants. Are there people that are strong in theology, yes or no? Yeah. Are, there, are those people that are strong in theology usually strong in their practice of theology? Yet there are Strong Christians that are strong in their practice of, of, of what they know, but they might not know a lot. How many understand that? We need each other. Listen, I love my wife dearly, but she does not belong in the pulpit. She doesn't. She's not gifted that way. I tell you what, she, I hope, loves me dearly. <laughs> but I do not believe, but, but I do not belong sitting down to a bunch of four, five, and six year olds trying to teach them theology. How many get that? My wife does a great job with kids. She loves, I mean, you walk into a room with kids and boom, she's like a laser beam. That's the kids I want to get with them. She loves that. That's how God's gifted her. We are all different. We need each other. We cannot, this church cannot survive without one another. Both the strong and the weak cannot find comfort without each other. Paul is not praying that unity will be achieved via the weak surrendering their unsatisfactory theology. Paul didn't say, hey, make sure the weak understand that they can eat meat. Just, just Would you get them right? He never says that in the text. Doesn't. Now, will they prayerfully grow in the grace and the knowledge and learn these things? Absolutely. Let me ask you, how many have ever been five years old? How many are glad you don't know or you know more than you did when you were five? You grow and mature. And as you do that, you help others grow and mature. By the way, that's, that's why usually there, there, is a, uh, there is some I know people aren't going to like this, but oh well. There's some practical truth why there isn't grade school kids with high school kids. There is a maturity that the grade school kids have no idea of. They need to be great schoolers. If God wanted pop out maturity, He would have popped out maturity. He didn't. There is a growth process, it doesn't happen like that. And by the way, high schoolers, even between high schools and junior high, I was a youth pastor for 10 years. Try to run a junior high youth activity with a senior high youth activity and see how that goes. Wow, there is major differences. And by the way, senior hires, they need to be taught some things that junior hires shouldn't even be talked to about. I don't think you're getting this because I didn't hear any men. Listen to this. Our grade school kids should not be talking about genders. I don't want my grade school kids being talked to about sex. I want them to go and play on the swing set and fall off and get a bruise. We need both weak and strong. Paul is not praying that they change their theology. He prays that they will be unified by learning to love and accept one another in the midst of their differences. It is a disagreement about non-essential issues that causes this conflict between the strong and the weak. Listen, does it matter if you eat meat your entire life or not? No, it does not matter. Now, I love my bacon cheeseburger. But if it's going to hurt somebody, I'm not going to eat it. These are non-essential things. Guys that eat steak are going to be in heaven just like guys that don't. Doesn't matter. It's, it's, It's irrelevant. Paul here is saying, listen, I want you to think the same way. How? With one accord. What does that have the idea of? Accord. Practice what you do. You're doing the same things. Why? Based on with one voice. What is that one thing? Jesus came and died for us. If we put our faith and trust in him, we will have eternal life. You can be saved. That doctrine, there's no wiggle room. None. The doctrine of the Trinity. There's no wiggle room there. Jesus Christ is God. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons in one. Both equal to each other, both not equal to each other. Say, how in the world do you explain that? I have no idea, but I know it's true. Why? Because the Scripture tells us that Jesus Christ is God. The Scripture also tells us that Jesus Christ talked to God as a Father, a different person, and then did what the Father willed. We talked about that two weeks ago when talking about Christ. Literally, Paul's asked that they learn to think the same things, the very things he commanded them in Philippians. Make make my joy complete by being of the same mind, the Bible says, Philippians chapter 2. Maintaining the same love, united in the same spirit, intended on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Could you imagine if our representatives would, would regard one another more important than themselves? Do not, I think, to be honest with you, and it, it goes into definitions, I understand, but that's why our Constitution says we the people. We're all in this together. We need to love and respect one another but we must stand for truth when we know the truth. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, verse 4, but also on the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about the same thing. Finally, brethren, rejoice. Be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. It is of course certain that he is not asking for them to come to agreement on issues. He didn't say that in there. Minor issues. Let me explain it this way because this is where we can get off track real easy. I am not saying that whether you're Buddhists, you're Jehovah's Witness, you're a Catholic, you're a Presbyterian, you're a Baptist. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. I'm kidding. Whatever you may be, we all get along. We're all going to the same place. I am not saying that. I'm going to explain it this way, and hopefully, it's helpful. There is an orthodoxy highway. Orthodoxy means these are things that cannot change. This is absolute truth. How many get this? There's an orthodox highway. Too many Christians fall off in the ditches. They take one thing or another way too far. How many understand? We can't live in the ditch. We live in orthodoxy. Salvation by grace through faith, orthodoxy. Trinity, orthodoxy. What about eschatology? Here's what I like that. Yeah, what about it? Next. (laughs) What about about eschatology? Well, we just preached... through eschatology, Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 25, Revelation chapter 20, uh, Romans chapter 11, dealing with eschatology. We here at this church are dispensational. We believe that Jesus Christ is coming again to take the church with him to heaven. And during the tribulation, we're with Christ. And then after the tribulation, we'll come down for a thousand years, we'll be with Christ in his kingdom. That's what we believe. There are other people that are truly born again who don't believe that. They believe that we're in the millennial kingdom. Have they watched the news? The other is uh, that the kingdom, we actually bring about the kingdom. Have you seen the church? Regardless, they love the Lord. And they're trying to search Scripture to find out what it means. I believe they're wrong. But you know what? We can have fellowship together. We can unify together that Jesus Christ saved us from our sins. That He is God. We can. That's what I'm talking about. We don't just throw out theology. We embrace it. But when we're not quite sure, because the Bible's not distinct. Here's a good one. How many can give me exactly what the Bible says about ecclesiology? You say, what? What is ecclesiology? It's the doctrine of the church. How is the church supposed to run? Are they supposed to be elder-led? Are they supposed to be congregational-led? Are they supposed to be... And you can go on and on and on. Here's the, here's the reality. We're not totally sure. There are evidences that, no question, leadership is elders. No question about that. But what does that look like? There's also issues where the Bible says the church, if if you go one-on-one to someone that has sinned in the church, how many remember that, Matthew chapter 13, you go one-on-one. If they don't listen to you, bring somebody else. If they don't listen to you, who are you supposed to bring? The church. There's evidences of that. There's evidences in Acts chapter 6 where the, the deacons are being brought into the church. Do leadership in the church decide on that? Well, It says that the leadership does and the church does. The leadership goes to church, says, hey, seek out from among you seven men and about us report. The church involved in that? Absolutely. I think it's very clear that there is a mutual working together within the church. Imagine that. So we need to cultivate an attitude of thinking with one another. A phrase that is used 10 times in Romans. Do you think it's important? Unity in the Romans? The basis of this unity is that both sides follow Christ and the center on the salvation He has wrought with his atoning sacrifice. The core of this unity is to function as a church with one heart and one mouth, verse six. MacArthur says it this way. He says, "God also gives us encouragement to persevere he provides this impetus by means of scripture which chronicle all the reasons to keep believing they give us reason to sustain hope for our glorious future folks he is not saying we are all crossing our fingers you know cross our fingers hope to die stick a needle in my eye that something's going to happen that's not what he's saying he's saying listen read the text it's going to happen jesus says you, those who are believers. Some may contend that unity is the ultimate purpose. I would argue that Unitarians believe that they're in a perfect place because they are the church of total unity. Anything goes and everything goes, and it does. And that our whole goal is unity. That is not the goal. Say whoa, oh, whoa, 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 whoa! Where do you get that? Uh, the Bible. Look what it says. He wants us unified for a reason. Look at the reason. The reason is in verse six. You, I want you in the same heart and the same mind that, with one accord, you may with one voice do what. What is the whole goal of unification? Glorify the Lord. Amen. That was awesome. Way to go, guys. Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of unification. There's no such thing as unification for unification purpose. We unify for the glory of God. That means we don't disappoint God and we don't go against His Word. Amen? Amen. The true purpose of both the inward and the outward unity is to glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the whole entire aspect of the book of Romans. How many have ever heard of the Westminster Confession? Listen, when people say confessions and creeds, that doesn't mean, don't do that. Please don't do that. Read them. Do they line up with Scripture? Then applaud them, amen? Not the men, the principle. The Westminster Confession of Faith, whether it's in the Lutheran, whether it's the shorter catechism or the long it doesn't matter. Here's the reality, it says this. It asks the question, what is the purpose of man? And then it answers it and gives biblical reasons. What is the purpose of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Our purpose on this earth is to glorify Him. Amen? The whole purpose of everything is to glorify Him. We are to glorify God. In the church, if the church is truly praising and glorifying God, how in the world could we have dissension? Think about that. If the church is purely and totally glorifying God, will there be dissension? No. So the problem is when there's disunity, that means there's a pride problem. Does it not? That means there's somebody somewhere or some, many places That are focused on their own opinions and not on the glory of God. They've lost their focus. Unity is mandated by the larger purpose of glorifying God in everything we do. In the larger sphere of commonality, we can place our differences in in perspective and find a respect and love for each other in the Spirit. Whether we're, and and I'm going to say this, and this is important, whether you're a Calvinist or an Arminian, I don't care. Do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord? And by the way, everyone sitting here falls in the categories of Arminian or Calvinist or a mix of them. we just got to get over ourselves, literally. By the way, does those words even find their way in Scripture? Why are we fighting about them? It's the principles that matter. Amen. We can find unity whatever our denomination or background so long as we worship the same Lord and focus on the same cardinal doctrines. The highway of orthodoxy. Stay out of the ditches. Get on the mass, the highway of orthodoxy we find in the text and stay on it. And here's another thing that helped deferences. Here's the reality. Does anybody here know everything about Scripture? If you do, say amen really loud. See, I, I got you twice because no one's ever going to do that unless there's an extreme pride. And I can't imagine that happening. But the point of the matter is nobody here knows everything about the text. Sometimes the best way to answer somebody about a question you don't know is to say, "I do not know." "I do not know." Some people like to get smart and "Hey, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Do you know what the answer to that is? "I don't know, and why does it matter? I know that Jesus Christ is God. He came to this earth in utter humility because He loved you enough to then die for you. After living a perfect life, He died the most wicked, horrible, selfless death anyone could ever die. He was murdered for you. And on that cross, He took your sins that whoever believes in Him Finish the sentence. Shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's something to stand on. One of my favorite authors, Schreiner, states this, God is not honored, however, if the believing community is fractured by divisions. He's not honored. He's not glorified. He is honored though when Jews and Gentiles with all their diversity stand shoulder to shoulder and lift up their voices in praise to Him. It is instructive that God is described here as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right there, He tells us there is a Trinity. Amen. priority of the Father is established. Why? And this is interesting. The priority of the Father is established, but not without, without. The compromising, the supremacy of the Son. Jesus Christ is King of kings, amen. Lord of lords. It's very unique how he put this all together. He is in the unique and only begotten from the Father who was in himself, was in himself full of grace and truth he is promised he is the promised messiah he is the christ he is our lord he is completely equal to god the father in his deity this brings out the genuine humanity of jesus and reminds christ that it is jesus who has brought us the perfect revelation of god We know Him as the Father of Jesus Christ. And unless we know Him in this way, we do not know God as He really is. For Jesus is in in His human nature. This will help us. Jesus in His human nature. God is His God. Did you follow that? In Christ's incarnation, in his kenosis, when he was on this earth, God the Father is his God. He says so in the text. For Jesus, in his deity, God is his Father. He is his God since the incarnation, his Father from all eternity. Then look at the verse, our Lord, which connects us with Jesus Christ and his God and Father. When I pray to God, I'm also praying to Christ. He is no longer in his incarnation. Amen. This is what we're talking about. I lost track here. John, John MacArthur says it this way, and I'm using all these men to explain this. It's very difficult to explain. And if you see it from a different angle, from a different point of view, it's easier to understand. He says it this way, that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. This is Jesus and God talking. That they also be in us as Christians. That the world may believe that thou didst sent me, and the glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them. And they may be one just as we are one. I in them and thou in me. That they may be perfected in unity. That the world may know. That thou didst send me and didst love them. Even as thou didst love me. What he's trying to, what he's trying to say. And this is in John chapter 17. You can find these words. What he's trying to say is this. Jesus was the firstborn amongst believers. Does that make sense? In other words, He is our perfect example. Not only is He our perfect righteousness, and He is, He's our perfect example. And we, like Him, will be resurrected. Amen. Matter of fact, the Bible says this. It's cool. When He talks about the resurrection, when Jesus was resurrected, we were resurrected with Him. Because we're in and of Him. Well, well, well I wasn't even born yet. Okay, this is where we get into Calvinism, Arminianism, and it's, it's kind of hard for some people. But The reality is, He chose us before the foundation of the world. He knew us before the world began. He loved us before the world began. Man, that's awesome truth. Listen, folks, that scripture, don't throw it away because you don't like it. Struggle with it and learn it. You know what I mean? It's there. Deal with it. Well, I don't get it. Nor does anybody else, but it's true. The reality is, it's so important. God chose us. And if you're a believer, you chose God. What? Yeah. Anybody that's going to be honest with the text will have that dynamic that doesn't make sense. They're just listen, how many of you are God? How many of you come even close to the brain of God? Let God be God. These are truth. Okay, let's go forward from here. In sum, this passage from verse 1 all the way down through verse 6. When theologically minded Christians focus on people's needs, not their own, verses 1 and 2. You following? Summing this whole thing up. Christ. Christ is the focus. Verse 3. Scripture. Scripture is what matters. Scripture is the truth. If we focus on people's, others' needs, Christ, Scripture, and lastly, God. If that is our focus, then the reality is unity becomes us. we... We will have no other choice than get along. I believe people really don't want to get along. I really believe that. But the problem is we don't get along because we're not getting our way. Where's that in the list? It's not there. When we focus on the needs of others, we're forgetting about ourselves. When we focus on Christ, we certainly are forgetting ourselves. If we think of ourselves, we, we are low people. When we're focused on Scripture, when we're focused on God's glory, man, if we would all focus on this, there would be nothing but unity. And to be honest, a unity that the world has not yet seen in its fullest form. Because one day, that blessed hope is coming. We're not going to go up there and think, man, I'm tall, I'm not godly. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I've got a birth defect because I'm taller than I should. Everybody knows that, right? I like to think that way because I'm short. The reality is All of our boo-boos and depraved problems that we all have. There's not a person in here that does not have problems. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, not one. Those are the things that captivate our focus, are they not? If these captivate our focus, that means we're perfect we're all going to have glorified, perfect bodies. Okay, Mr. Pierce is excited about that. Everybody in the kingdom is going to have a body. Everyone in the eternal state will have a perfectly glorified body. Amen. The eternal state. And our focus will be on others, Christ, Scripture, and God. God is glorified when His people are of one focus. Would you say that's the truth of this text? The essence of this text is God is glorified when people are of one focus. Well, here's the focus. Help me with them. Verse 1 and 2. Others' needs. Verse 3, Christ. Verse 4, Scripture. Verse 5 and 6, God in His glory. It's that easy. Yeah, right. Doesn't look that way, does it? Our focus has got to get off of ourselves. I pray that that will be. Mr. Zaren, I'm going to have you come and close this word of prayer, if you would, please. Let's stand over the Christian prayer. Heavenly Father, we are truly humbled by the awesomeness that you have. Father, we realize that the nearer we get to knowing you, the more we realize how little we really know about you. And Father, this is so true. Father, we are finite beings. We can never, ever understand the infinite. But God, I pray that our focus would be to learn that more and more each day. And in so doing it, glorifying you. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.